What's happening in the canine industry? For all the latest news, views and expert opinions, stay right here for the canine paradigm. You'll hear from industry leaders, experts, doyens of the industry, learned colleagues, movers and shakers, and the odd Randy guest. Get the latest insights and expert advice from both here and abroad from the people in the know. Now, here are your hosts, Glenn Cook and Pat Stewart. And I'm Lofty Fulton, and I'm out of here. Hey, Glenn. Yes. Pop quiz, hot shot. Oh, God, here it comes. You're walking down the street. Mm. You're in North America. Yes. You suddenly find yourself in desperate need of working dog equipment. Right. Where are you going to get it? Canine Dynamics. Canine Dynamics. Yeah. Is that where, if you were in North America, you would get all your working dog equipment? Absolutely. Without a doubt. Why? The best. All round good guy. All round good guy. Mac Point. He spells his name with a C and not a K. Oh, he must be cool. He must be really cool. All right. Next question. Yes. You're walking down the street. Mm. Same street? No. Okay. Now you're in Australia. (laughs) (laughs) You can find yourself in need of dog equipment. Mm -hmm. Who are you calling? (sighs) Hang on a sec. Let me think about it. Is he a buff head? (laughs) (laughs) Actually, he's half a buffhead now. Yeah. Yeah. He's the fading buffhead. He's the fading buffhead. Yeah. Yep. Okay. It's given it away. I call old mate Jason Furman. Yep. From Einzerwiener. Einzerwiener. <laughs> <laughs> all right. All right. Yep. One more question. Right. You are in Ashland, Virginia. Right. And that's you- very specific. <laughs> <laughs> You're walking down the street. Yep. Which street? Uh, any of a them. A street. Okay. And you meet a person mm. whose dog's just being unruly. Their pet dog's causing them all kinds of problems. Yep. Who are you going to refer them on to? Oh, the one and only Kindred Canine. Kindred Canine. Kindred Canine. Who runs that? Melanie Benware. Uh-huh. The Prez. The Prez of the ISCP. Yep. The one right. and only. So, you will need working dog equipment in North America. Mm-hmm. Canine, Canine Dynamics. Dynamics. Need any kind of dog gear in yep. Australia. Yep. Forfed Central. Einswick Dog Quip. Yep. Need some pet dog in-home what does she call it? She calls it stay and train or play and train. Yeah, I think so. Yeah. All of that. Who are you calling? Kindred Canine. Melanie Benway. Thanks, guys. Yeah. Thank you very much for supporting the show. Love you. Welcome back to the Canine Paradigm. I'm your host, Pat Stewart. I'm joined in studio by my co-host, Glenn Cook. Here we are. Hello, sir. Hello, sir. We're out of sequence. Why is that? It's Thursday. Oh, yeah, it is too. Yeah, you're right. We yep. usually do it on a Tuesday. Yeah. But we couldn't because the ripster couldn't get- Yeah, family staff, people, mm. no one to look after him, blah, mm. blah, blah, blah. Anyway, we, we're here. We found a time. Yeah, we did. And there's lots going on at the moment. So much. I know, right? Mm. Narelle launched her podcast. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I've, I've been meaning to listen to that, but I'm halfway mm. through an audiobook, so I need to finish that and then I can get back to some podcasts. Yeah. So she launched that last two weeks. So she just did an intro episode to talk about who she is and what she's achieved in her time as changing careers from, mm-hmm. from uh, working for the government in agriculture to now doing natural health for people and pets, which mm. is funnily enough is the name of her podcast. Yeah. Yeah. So first episode was actually a good one. We actually we spilled the beans on what happened with Ladybug. Oh, yeah. Yeah. It's so out. It's out. 
Give the recap on that because, like, no one on our show, unless it, I mean, obviously, no one, there's people that listen to that, but no one's actually, we haven't spoken about that on the show. No, we haven't spoken about that in the show. So you can listen in great detail on the episode because we went through what actually happened. But in a nutshell, the elevator pitch of what happened was Ladybug's a very vivacious little French bulldog. She's like Ricochet Rabbit. For anyone who doesn't know who Ricochet Rabbit is, it was a cartoon of a rabbit that it was a sheriff in the town, but he could bounce off rocks and walls everywhere yeah. he went like a bullet. That's pretty much what Ladybug's like. She's like she bounces off things. We try and stop her because obviously French bulldogs and dachshunds and dogs like that can be renowned for having spinal injury. So we were hard on her for doing it. But anytime she kicked into drive, she would do it without us knowing. So she'd mm-hmm. jump on beds and off beds and so forth. So I think that's definitely contributed to what happened. In a nutshell, what happened to her is one of her discs exploded in her back and created severe compression in her spine. Unfortunately, it happened overnight. It didn't happen during the day. It happened overnight. She was showing signs of discomfort the day before and we'd bring the vet and said, oh, look, we, you know, we need to bring Ladybug in tomorrow because there's some discomfort there. But by the time we'd woken up in the morning, too late, she was paralyzed we had to race her pretty much to the animal animal emergency centre mm-hmm. over in Homebush. And the odds were stacked against us at that time. So the surgeon, who's one of the best in Australia, he was speaking to us and he said, look, 50 to 70%. This is all happening when COVID happened, which is pretty much – we didn't tell a lot of people what was going on and not because we didn't want to. It's just because so many people were facing so many miserable things in the world, like the world had turned into a shitstorm. And so many people were losing their jobs and I just didn't want to add our grief on top of everybody else's grief. Mm -hmm. And plus we didn't know what was going to happen with Ladybug. To be honest, I spent two weeks crying in the garage thinking this is it. I'm never going to see my dog again. Mm -hmm. And it was a fucked up time for both of us. We couldn't even see her. We weren't allowed to go back there and visit her. And day by day, the news was not good. They would come back and said, look, it's going to take four or five days for the swelling to go down and for us to know. And after that, you know, like they were saying, oh, but she's in good spirits and she's eating well and doing this well and doing that well. But, you know, like as the days were going on, they're going, oh, there's no deep pain. She's not responding, you know, like she's not doing this. We have to manually express her bladder. And so, you know, Narelle and I are going, so what does this mean? They're going, well, this is the unfortunate side of it because this is the side where you may have to make a decision. So our hearts are pretty much sinking at this point in time, thinking this is it. She's gone. They were showing a Zoom pictures of her and so forth, and I didn't even want to look at it. I just couldn't bring myself. Oh, so this was peak Rona as well, peak wasn't it? Peak Rona. So you couldn't you weren't allowed. We weren't in. allowed. You could only go not to the car park. Not because of dog medical reasons, nope. but human medical reasons. You could this not was go right at into the lockdown. The, yeah, yeah. It was terrible. Like it was absolutely bizarre. Like no one's ever dealt with this before. You know, and that's again, that's the reason we we didn't want to deal with this. But Oh, man, it was fucking crushing. Like, oh, God, give me a sec. But she, the punchline is, though, she's doing all right. She's doing really well now. Like, she went from the prospect of never walking again to she's got, a like, a funny little drunken walk going on now. And we outlined it in the, in the podcast with Narelle, but the primary thing is we got – such good aftercare by our local vet, which is Jane Ricard from Hills District Veterinary Centre, and also Neil Barnsley, who is just an amazing animal chiropractor and acupuncturist. Mm-hmm. And those two people, and Mel Benware, I know we gave her credit on the podcast, but Mel Benware, I told her about it in the early days, and she said, Glenn, get her into acupuncture straight away, as soon as you can. And, you know, especially someone who does electrotherapy acupuncture. Mm-hmm. And Neil Barnsley does all that. Like, he is so super skilled. He's, we've got to get him on the show. He's just incredible. Wait one moment, sir. Are you telling me you used an electric device on your animal? 
terrible. Shocking. <laughs> Shocking, literally. Shocking. You yes. put probes yes. into the yes. animal's muscle. Yes. yes, we did. And caused an electric stimulation. Yes. yes. She didn't explode? No. <laughs> no, she didn't catch on fire. There weren't any burn or pit marks on her or anything like that. And she actually enjoys it. She <laughs> loves it. Unbelievable. Yeah. The disappointing thing for me was that I was at the height of teaching her scent detection. Mm. I was getting her ready for night. That's work. right. Yeah, yeah. Um, you were making a video. That's- making videos. And that's primarily why my video stopped for yeah. people who want to know. Because I was heartbroken thinking that my dog is going to die. I'm never going to see her again. And we'd been making so much progress. She was hunting birch. She was doing it inside and outside. And it was really going well. And a lot of it I actually didn't get on video because I was going to do updates and progress. This is like any tragedy that happens and unfolds for anybody in their life. You can't predict when it's going to happen. Mm-hmm. They just happen. And, you know, and this is why they call it tragedy is because unfortunately um, things change and the world change and you just have to adapt to it. So, yeah, Narelle and I, you knew and, and Melanie knew and, you know, like a few people knew, but majority of people did not. We just decided not to disclose it and we thought, we'll just see how things are going. Primarily what we wanted to do was assess whether Ladybug was going to have quality of life, whether she was going to be able to enjoy herself or whether she was going to spend a life of pain. And if she was going to spend a life in pain, we were going to say to herself, that's it. We have to do the most difficult thing, but the kindest thing to somebody that we appreciate and love. So, mm. but that thankfully, that's not had to happen. She is taking incremental steps forward and she is doing so much better than what we predicted she would. Mm-hmm. Actually, while we're speaking, Narelle's doing underwater therapy with her. So she's on an underwater oh, yeah. treadmill. She's driven over to a lady called Teresa that's over in Toramara. Yeah. And she's got a little underwater treadmill. So bug does. Hydro thing, yeah. Yeah. Even she's remarking that she was wobbling over and hitting the walls to start with, but now she's walking in a straight line. Mm-hmm. So Narelle's done, she's just done an excessively amazing job of her commitment to her. You have footage of like you're going to do yes. sort of before yeah, we're gonna, and after stuff, right? Yeah. Because I, when you're saying, oh, she can kind of walk now, that's important to understand that she could not at all. No, no, like she, she was totally paralyzed. She was totally paralyzed from about – So from about two-thirds of her body down, completely no feeling. Mm -hmm. Now she can feel things. She doesn't have like a proper deep pain sensation, but she can feel things and she is responding and she will wake up when you touch her. Whereas before you could could almost like – snip one of her toes off and she would never she would not budge to it mm-hmm. now when you tickle her toes and so forth she'll wake up and look at you and say what are you doing yeah cool so there is something returning there like life is coming back to her neither one of us is at a stage in our life where we're being unrealistic and think oh she's going to return to normal mm-hmm. i don't think she will i don't think she'll ever be her normal self again that's a bonus if that happens but we're taking what we get from it She's already exceed. She's a fighter, that little dog. You know, like you talk about the importance of hope so much in training, and that's why we never gave up on Bug. And this was ridiculously expensive. Like I'm talking <laughs> tens of thousands of dollars. Yeah, the costs are still coming up, and that's why I understand when it gets too hard for people because sometimes the commitment is enormous. Yeah, you know, the commitment is enormous. But for us, she's worth it. We just love it. She's a pain in the ass. <laughs> <laughs> Absolute pain in the ass, but we love her to death. Like she's a, a hilarious little French bulldog. Yeah, yeah. And she's a fighter. She wants to fight. Yeah. You know, like if she was a human being and you got to interview her and ask her the question, what do you want to do here? She'd say, I want to, I'm good to go. Yeah. You know, like I want to give it everything. Yeah. If it was one of our others, like let's say, for example, Opie, he'd be traumatized by this. You mm-hmm. know, like all the people touching him and probing him and stuff like that, he'd be absolutely, it would do his head in. I think 
and I hate to say that of him because he, he's our special potato as well. <laughs> but <laughs> but I don't think that he would appreciate all the excessive prodding and probing. Yeah, yeah. And where Bug just takes it in a stride, she's like, "Yeah, fuck it, I don't care. Yeah, give me your worst." Mm. So that's it. That's the heavy story. Yeah, it is a heavy story, and and it's ongoing. It's ongoing. Yeah, like I said, it's very promising. She seems to be getting stronger, and it was funny before. You would have laughed if you saw it, but she was in the lounge room with me. I was on a call and Narelle was out the back and she heard Randy. She gets excited by Randy and that he's what causes a lot of her drive initiation. She shot up the hallway like a cannonball. It was hysterical watching her and her little funky back legs going, kicking all over the place. But she shot up there so fast that it was almost immeasurable. It was incredible. How funny. Yeah, it was really funny. You know what they say of dogs like that? My close personal friend, James Hatfield, the singer of Metallica, Mm -hmm. says that the brightest flame burns quickest. Yes. You know? So, like, it's sometimes a way with those crazy little dogs. Mm. They do do themselves in and it's it's their nature. And that's the difficulty of living with drivey dogs is, especially when you own and manage and run boarding kennels, like, drivey dogs are the worst to have in kennels. Yeah. Because they're the dogs that look for a way out and, you know, they will try and squeeze out of a 50-cent piece hole. Mm. They'll do the most mischief to themselves and that's the one thing. And they'll bark and they'll pace and they'll tear their pads up and, you know, they'll bite wire and all sorts of stuff. Like boarding kennel owners all over the world, you know, lament having high-drive dogs yeah. in. I reckon Remy's tried to kill himself – more times than I can remember. He's like, good here. Yeah, but I mean, like, just in general, like, he's good in a kennel because yeah. he, he knows he's actually very good in confined spaces. Like, yep. he just goes, ah, I'm in here. There's no getting out. Like, he's, you know, he's well rehearsed at that. Yeah. But out in the real world, he's jumped off cliffs. He's done That's all. Right. Like, I have to protect him from himself so often. Mm. He once, when he was quite young, there's this park. It's not really a park park, but it's the top of a car park in Potts Point. Yeah. And I think it's six stories high or something like that. And on top of it, because the way it kind of is built into this cliff, so you can walk onto it and it feels like you're in a park, but mm. you're actually on the roof of this thing. And um, he just jumped clean off that. And obviously he's not the first dog. Like just I couldn't believe that he could clear the fence, right? Mm. And uh, I didn't even know there was a cutout there. He's obviously not the first dog that did because there's a net. <laughs> So I watch him jump, right? And I'm like, oh, my God, my dog's just jumped off the cliff. I go running over and he's like stuck in this net like, help me, friend. (laughs) (laughs) Or just sitting there going, what happened? Yeah, he's like, this is interesting. What what is happening to me? Yeah, this gravity thing's really fucked me over. Yeah. Yeah, well, he's broken a tooth. He's jumped off a cliff. Yeah, that's the issue. Randy's the same. Like he's just, that dog is constantly limping or hurting himself or ripping his paw open or, yeah. You know, like you just you look at him and go, why, bro? Why? Yeah. Well, it's a trait that we've bred into dogs that would nat- would normally be selected out. Yeah. Like they'd kill themselves and they'd be out of jump pool. Yeah. Right? But we protect them and we keep them alive and we like that. So we go, ah, we need more of you. And we, yeah. <laughs> we yeah, breed well, them. We're constantly looking for fearlessness and, yeah. you know, pushing the limitations and boundaries of whatever we can get out of them. Yeah. Mm. And also that idea of like, Wanting to go through difficulty as well. Like, yep. so, you know, a couple of nights ago, I'm in bed and Remy's, I can hear him. He's like on the floor in my room. You know, he sleeps wherever he wants. He mostly sleeps in Rip's room with him. Yeah. But he sort of moves around a little bit and I can hear him whinging and crying on the floor. Right. And um, I'm like, what is wrong with you? 
And I get up and have a look and he's got his face and he's trying to get under my bed. And there's only like a, an inch clearance under yeah, the bed, right? But that's what I mean. They're trying to push her a 50 cent piece. Yeah. And so he's like crying and he's like trying to get under there. And there's, I'm like, why are you trying to get under the bed? And I have a look and there's a Kong that's somehow ah, right under there. Gotcha. So I get the, I, I like pull the Kong out and I give it to him and he doesn't want it. Yep. He only wanted to try and get it. He didn't yep. actually want to have it. Yeah, that was the dopamine. Yeah, that's exactly it, yeah. right? And so we've intentionally bred these dogs mm. to be annoyingly attracted to difficulty. Yep. Right? And then it's our job to try and protect them from themselves, mm. right? Which is easier said than done, especially in working dog cases, right? Yeah. Like when you, you're intentionally breeding a dog and then – convincing it throughout its life, you you should do anything that you want to get what you want. Mm. And we trick them into thinking that they're indestructible and way more powerful than they are yeah. through careful management. So yeah. then they're like, I'm going to jump off this cliff. Yeah. I'll be right. <laughs> it's kind of like how millennials were told that they could do anything and be anything. And then when they couldn't, they started crying. <laughs> oh dear, sir. We just lost all the millennials. Oh, dear. Poor kids. Hey, we had a topic. Yeah. Hard rules of yeah. the industry. Yeah. So I was thinking fun thing to talk about might be like hard lines, like yep. hard rules, rules that you don't cross. Mm. Hey, before we jump into that, mm. I just wanted to give some feedback that we got, well, I got contacted by quite a few people on the last episode we did in, oh, yeah. in regards to the industry frauds. Mm-hmm. A fair few people contacted me and said, number one, they they enjoyed listening to the episode, but I think it hit a note for a few people because they have been targeted by some industry frauds. Mm. I think we outlined one of the significant points there was do your homework. Mm. You know, like one of the things that a lot of frauds do is they like to seclude you and they like to box you into a corner and take you away from the world. So they cut you away from communicating with other people. One of the things that I'm encouraging guys to do is if it looks like it's too good to be true, then sometimes it is. Mm. That was the advice I gave on the last episode. So I'm encouraging people look deeper into that. Like to quote you, Extraordinary claims require extraordinary evidence. You know, like if people are making those extraordinary claims, go and check it out or get them to provide fact for you. Because a lot of times they're not. Like they're telling stories to people and then people are getting caught out. Yeah. You know, so really deep dive into those sort of things and call them out too. If you know that you're being fucked over by someone, the last thing they want to be done is exposed. Some of these people are fucking. Yeah, call them out or just walk away. Whatever's safest. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. The, the issue is you don't want to get involved in a back and forth. That's the issue. And especially when you're like calling people out can end up sort of pushing them into a corner yep. where now they have to erupt out at you. And it's like deny, deny, counter accuse, right? Yep. And that's the sort of, that's the sort of situation that the liar is prepared to double down on his lies. Mm. And so it's no different. Yep. Like that's one of the things, I, that's one of the reasons I usually just, sever ties with people and I don't have the fight because if you find out that someone has been lying, they are a fraud. Yeah. Right. And then you call them out. Well, doubling down telling another lie and calling you the fraud or making up allegations about you or, you know, whatever. Well, they're professional liars. That's right. They're going to beat you at that. They're better at it than you. There's an old saying about idiots and it says, never argue with an idiot because they'll always drag you down to their level and beat you with experience. And it's the same thing for professional liars. Exactly. So I think your best bet, like call them out if you need to, but I think that your best bet is just to be like, oh, okay, goodbye. But definitely do your homework on it. And here's another point too. 
Sometimes what they do is they provide a safe space for you to feel like you're comfortable to have a little chat about other people Mm -hmm. and then they hold that against you and then they use that as ammunition. So if you do go to expose them, then they say, well, I've got some ammo on you too Mm -hmm. and I'm going to blow the whistle on you. Mm -hmm. So there are unscrupulous people out there in all industries, in all facets. You know, like some of the smartest people I know have been caught out. And it's going to happen to you once or twice in your life anyway. Well, I'm not saying it's acceptable. I'm I'm absolutely not saying that. I mean, it's it's happened to me before. I've been caught out by people. And that's why I always err on the side of caution now. When something sounds too good to be true and somebody's coming to me and making it sound like, you know, I'm going to make you rich or I'm going to make you famous or I'm going to do this and I'm going to do that for you. It doesn't mean that it's not going to happen and it doesn't mean that this person isn't capable of doing that, but do your homework. Mm. You know, like check and see if this person, if they've got good referees, then, you know, you're lucky you've got the goose that lays a golden egg. Mm. But in some cases, you've also got a fraud who's targeting you mm-hmm. and, uh, you know, they're trying to open you up so they can see what they can get out of it. Yeah, mm. that's possible. Yeah. Hard rules. Hard rules. So those that's a hard rule. Do your homework. Yeah. You know, that is a hard and fast rule. That's my hard and fast rules. Mm-hmm. And you made a good point before, Pat, that I'm a, I'm a stickler of as well, that if somebody is an absolute piece of shit, then fuck them off completely. <laughs> Yeah, that, that's one. That's one of my. I hats. said, just walk away from toxic people. Okay, well that's if fine. someone's a fucking piece of shit, <laughs> fuck them, <laughs> fuck them. <laughs> yeah, fuck. Okay, well cunts. I put words in your mouth. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, fuck them. Yeah. No, really, honestly, I make this claim, and I'm very clear about it. Sometimes you're not good for somebody's lifestyle and sometimes they're not good for your lifestyle. Mm. And I have walked away from people because I know I'm not good for them and I'm a toxic person in their life. I know I'm the I'm the protagonist in the story. So I leave, you know, because I think to myself, I'm the shit here. Mm-hmm. I've got to go, okay, because this person is actually a, a decent person but I'm not good for them. Mm-hmm. And I also feel that about when I meet that person who is not good for my life. Sometimes I know that person's not decent enough to leave my life like I would in somebody else's. So I just think best thing I can do for you is distance, bro. Mm. You can stay on that side of the bridge. I'll stay on this side of the bridge. It's interesting that we even have to have this conversation and for a second time because- But it scratched a nerve. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. But dog industry is a weird one, especially online because like I've got- 4,000 Facebook friends or some nonsense, mm. right? And and another 1,000 sitting there waiting to be approved. They just haven't that we, done it. We don't know but, many of yeah, them. Yeah, and so I don't know of any other industries that people just friend each other on Facebook just because they're in the same industry. Like, you know, my wife's a tattooist. Mm. She doesn't have a 3,000 tattooist friends on Facebook. They follow each other's business page, and I think Instagram is where they follow each other. Yeah, like, but and they, they still follow each other. Yeah, but they're not, like, heavily involved in, in each other's personal lives because they have, like, business Instagram pages are interesting. So, Jane, if she posts a photo of Rip, she'll lose hundreds of followers yep. because people are like, no, I'm here to follow your art. Like, I don't yep. give a shit about your life. Yeah. Like, I'm here to see – what happens in your- What do you produce? Yeah, this is mm. your business page. This mm. is art. That's what I'm here to see, right? But as dog trainers, we do the opposite. We're like really involved in each other's lives. And I don't know of any other industries that are like that. Like yep. people are really 
involved with their competitors. Mm. And it's good. There's good parts to that, but there's bad as well. And I think that's, you know, how we come to have this conversation, how you have people in your life like that. And it's so common in our industry Mm. being unregulated that anyone can say that they're they're anybody and that you can go and open your own business doing whatever you want in dog training tomorrow. You don't need any permission from anybody to do it. Yep, that's right. right. You can shake a Wheaties packet and and a dog training certificate will fall out. Yeah. Mm. So it's interesting. And distressing. Yeah. Well, it's a – what's the word? Anomalous. Yeah, yeah. It's just a, a novel dichotomy. Right? Oh, oh, oh dear, sir. That's quite highbrow. Oh, now we're going After into- we just said, fuck off, <laughs> tell everyone to fuck themselves. <laughs> yeah. Uh, <laughs> all right, hard rules. Yeah. I saw something on, again, online the other day, and it was in some group, and it was some dude working his own dog, and somebody, it was the classic thing that goes around, never, ever work your own dog, right? And mm-hmm. we've talked about this a bunch of times. Like, yep. that's not the topic, right? The topic was that there were people saying that you should never do that. Yeah, ever, ever. Yeah, never. Don't do yep. it, right? And I think that that's not necessarily true, but that's not what I want to talk about. What's interesting is that I think when someone – Often, when someone says in dog training, you should never do X, they are quite right that they should never do X because they have probably done it and seen unwanted or undesired consequences. Yeah. So to use that working your own dog, bite work sort of thing, whenever somebody says you should never work your own dog, never, you can never do it. You're talking about a generalized term, are you? Like, uh, like when they just generalize to everybody, like the yeah, entire population. Like you should never do it. Nobody right. should okay. ever work their dog. I would say, just to rudely interrupt you, I would say that I would insert a potato clause there. Right. And I would say for the potatoes, they should never work their own dog. Yeah, because okay. Because they're well, potatoes. There's, there's, like you, you could say that if you don't know what you're doing, you yeah. probably shouldn't try and right. take Right, but I wouldn't generalize you. it. Like there's people who I've seen say this that yeah. are quite good at dog developers, right? Yep. And they say, you should never work your own dog. Nobody should ever do that. And that kind of tells me about how they work dogs, right? right? So they're right. They should never, because the way that they work dogs is they don't do, like the person in particular who I'm thinking of, and I won't say his name, he's actually in jail at the moment, but I won't say his name. Um, <laughs> the way he works, he can develop a fucking dog. Yep. Don't get me wrong. But he waits till they're old enough to handle a lot of pressure and he yep. does it in that way. The way that he would work a dog is is good at it. Yeah. But you can't do that shit to your own dog, right? Like, and that tells me immediately, like, yeah, you're right. You shouldn't in that manner. Mm. But there's other ways you can do it, right? So, and it's totally fine to work your own dog in that way. And and doing what you do, that piece, of yep. course, you shouldn't do that. But what was interesting to me is, you know, he had developed a line in the sand where he said, like, no, no one can do this. And from his viewpoint, in his circumstance, that's quite right. Yep. But what he perhaps didn't understand or didn't acknowledge is that there's other ways to do it and it's probably okay. The same is when I see people say that you should never use an e-collar on a young dog. Right. Right. Yeah. And it's the same thing. Like people will say like, no, the dog has to be, you know, two years old or whatever. And, you know, blah, blah, blah. There's all these stipulations on what you can do with an e-collar. And a person that says that to me, like, you should never use an e-collar on a young dog, I say, okay, okay, you should never use an e-collar on a young dog. Because if your interpretation is that this is a big, great big stopping tool yep. and you intend to use it as a hammer, then that's, that's your limitations right. like in your I, knowledge. Yeah. Well, I agree. Mm. We should not do that to a young dog. Yeah, agreed. But, like, 
I know of ways to use that tool in a different way, mm. right, that I think is totally fine to use on young dogs. Yep. And I've seen some, you know, really highly specialized people using e-collars on eight-week-old puppies. Yep. And they're doing that in a in a way that the person who says you should never use an e-collar on a dog couldn't fathom the use of the e-collar, yep. right? And it's because there's a scale, I think, to everything. In the same way, like, the, you know, in just my two examples – there's, a, there's ways you can work a dog where you can be just playing with your own dog and it happens mm. to be instead of you holding a tug, you're wearing it, right? Like yep. that's the way that you're totally fine to work your own dog. But then there's ways that you can work a dog where the dog has to go, this is a real fight. I could lose and there'll be a dangerous consequence for me. So I have to bring the heat and make sure I don't, right? Now, never do that to your own dog. So you're saying never work your dog, your own dog in defense. Yeah, yeah which I we agree. discussed. Yes. Which we discussed, yeah, we right? have it. Yeah, I think we discussed it with Jerry. Many Jerry's times. talked about it on controlled aggression. Many times. And yep. I think that real, like most people sort of agree with that. That's oh, absolutely. Fine. Yeah. But undoubtedly. Then when we talk about e-collars as well, like there's people who say never use an e-collar and it it really expresses or exposes the way that they have a limited belief on yep. the way an e-collar can be used, right? And as I say, like I've seen people use – I haven't, but I've seen people use an e-collar on an eight-week-old puppy and the people that say never use an e-collar that way, maybe they don't acknowledge that there's a spectrum of use, yep. right? There is a way that you can use that tool in a totally different way that you are imagining. And if mm. you say never use on a young dog and it's just a stopping tool, then that's true for you. It is, right? You should yep. never do that to a young dog. Fucking hell, you should never go into a high level e-collar use and stopping any behaviors with an e-collar the dog. Yep. But if you are a person who uses real low levels, and I'm talking level one to create a novel stimulus that the dog can feel, like- one of the best I've seen was a, a little deaf puppy yep. that had an e-collar on from eight weeks old and they conditioned it. It's was a his, great level was his of marker. communication. It was yeah. his marker yep. that he could feel. And, yep. and you know, people like, you know, at the lowest possible level with an e-collar, this is not an e-collar pitch, but at the lowest possible level, mm. it's a, a neutral stimulus. It doesn't hurt at all. It's just like, hey, what the fuck is that? I feel that. Yep. I don't care about it, but it's something I'm aware of. Mm. And you can give that a value. You can go like that stimulus that you feel that input, that tiny tingle before it goes, of course, at the higher level, pain compliance kicks in. Yep. But at the lower level, you could live in that amount of pressure. It's not It's not negative mm. reinforcement. It's not punishment. It's a, it's a novel stimulus. You can give that any value you want. And so I don't usually bother trying to explain that to people who would say, you should never use an e-collar on a young dog because I say, no, you're right. You shouldn't, right? Mm. But it's okay for other people to because- they are going to use it in a way that is different. So there's two examples, right? And I was thinking about like, what do I think you should never do to a dog? And where's my bias in that? Yep. Right? So- Well, number one is don't work your own dog in defense. Yeah. And so yep. I have a good argument for that. I mm. think that, first of all, it's a pretty stressful thing to do for your dog, right? Yeah. And I think that- it's, never it's mind, bo- it's bond diminishing. Yeah. So never mm. mind the the damage you're going to do to your relationship. I think that's obvious, mm. right? That there's obvious relationship damage to your dog. You're causing you and your dog to actually fight, yep. which you don't want, right? Like yep. you can play fight, but you don't want to actually fight. I think that there can be a real power shift that could take place because if you're going to work a dog appropriately in defense, you're the loser of the battle, mm. and so that's. Um, that's not a good position to put yourself no, in not. with your dog, like teaching him that he can actually beat you in well, a Well, that's a control mechanism for the dog. Then he learns that if you push me, then I need to push back harder. Exactly. Yeah. And also you're showing the dog that in a civil picture, it's totally okay, or, or not necessarily a civil picture, but- uh, In times of stress. Yeah. It's mm. okay to bite you. Yep. Biting you is a path out of that stress. And I've actually physically seen that happen on a job site and it was a dope. 
Sorry, Adobe peeps. But Don't apologise to Adobe. <laughs> I see people in the forums going, why in Adobe? You know, now I'm not Pat Stewart's best friend. Uh, <laughs> you know, in all that uh, crossbreed thing that happened in the forum. Oh, that. Yeah. yeah. Did you see the final, like the final comments were, yeah, well, at least it's not Adobe or something yes, like I that. Did. I was like, yeah. Yeah. I got nothing against Dobermans. They're just not very good at working. That's all. Nice dogs as dogs. They, they they're used fast to be. at running they away. They used to be. And in and in some countries they are, but they're prone to having the, the drive bred out of them like a lot of working breeds are. Like as soon as they become popular and there's a lot of money exchanging hands. Well, the drive bred out is – the drive, I think, channeled in the wrong direction, right? Mm. Uh, I think we've spoken about this before, but like – Yeah, we have. My issue with Dobermans and Rottweilers – is that there's not enough delineation between a show one who is designed to look a particular way yep. and perform no function. But that's where the drive looking. is focused yeah. in, in maintaining a stand in a show. Yeah, but then the people who say like, I have a Rottweiler, he's good to go, they also then require as part of their breed standard like a protection yep. component and it's it's just easy to make them a bit nervy so that they guard, mm. right, and he'll pass the breed survey yep. and – then you're just like intentionally putting a problem into your dog. Whereas like Springer Spaniel people, right, They the show line people don't pretend their dogs can work. Well, the difficulty is, and um, let me play the devil's advocate here for a little bit because, I mean, a few people have contacted me with a few of their points after we've Certainly. sort of smashed them on the show. Certainly. And they have said we are also the victim of what state and federal government impose on us as well which I understand that because when the Domestic Feral and Nuisance Animal Act opened up, you know, there were people getting rid of their dogs in droves. Like mm. it was a buyer's market or not even, didn't, weren't even buying dogs back then. People were giving us dogs, mm. you know, like it was just here, take my dog. You know, I don't want to be subject to fines and so forth. So the problem for a lot of people is laws are being written to safeguard the greater community, which I respect, but it's also been written in extremist views. Yeah, I'm with you on that. And that's the difficulty that it places people on people. So a lot of, you know, and we talk about this when dogs get sold to government agencies around the world and so forth. Some of the best dogs ever disappear into the ether, mm. you know, never to be seen again. Mm. They either die in action or something like that. And they're, you know, like they're really the alpha genes of, of mm -hmm. what we really want to carry forward. Mm -hmm. So they're gone. And then when people started putting their dogs down, they're gone the best of the dogs that were around at that time are gone. Mm. And then what's left is the dogs that are safe to be in backyards. Yeah, but none of those Dobermans went to the military. No, the no, place, they didn't. Nor those Rottweilers. No. So, like, carry on. Continue defending the position because I haven't heard anything that is going to change my mind. In some countries they were. You know, no, here in Australia. Not because here in Australia. That's what I okay, said. yeah. But, I mean, in, in other countries those dogs have been used in police forces. Like, you know, Rottweilers have been used sure. in, in European that. countries. More so than Dobermans for sure. But, I mean, the popular dogs generally were the German Shepherd and now more predominantly the, the Belgian Shepherds, the Malinois in particular. I acknowledge all of that as well. But, you know, like I have seen back in the 90s, like I got to see the best of the Rottweilers. Well, what I consider the best of the working Rottweilers around. These dogs are good dogs. Yeah. They weren't males and they weren't high-end shepherds, but they were bloody good dogs. Yeah. You know? And I acknowledge and, that. And yeah. I, like I and they, they, I wasn't they, around to see They it, have so. completely dissipated. Yeah. You know, like what we're seeing now is more so a driby Labrador type of black and tan dog. And what I see is a nervy Labrador. Well, and that's a concern. And I know it upsets people because people have contacted me and they've said, you know, like 
feel like you're taking a hard stance on this, <laughs> but what I am saying is that I have seen the change and it's undeniable. Yeah. And reality is you've been there as well. Like some of the people who have spoken to me about it, you've been there on that journey as well. Like yeah. you've seen the change yourself, you know, but you're you're in denial. You know, like I do understand. I do understand the government has changed things. I do understand extreme laws have been passed, which really, you know, made people panic and didn't want to be part of a, an issue or a target yeah, by government agencies and so forth. There's absolutely reasons yes, for, there for why yeah. those breeds have gone the way that they have. Mm. But still, we have to acknowledge that it's gone the way it has. And, and I think for my opinion, it's just my opinion and yep. fuck, it's worth what it's worth, right? But- I think part of the big issue with those breeds is that there is not enough clear distinction between the show form and the working form. Not anymore. Because the issue is like when you say, and, and I always use Springer Spaniels as an example, right? Because yep. because I have one and I can identify it and I, I know a bit about them, right? Yep. No show line Springer people think their dogs can work. Mm. They, they're not interested in it. They yep. don't pretend even for a moment they that their dogs can go dog. out. Yeah, they're yep. bred a dog to look a particular way mm. and that's what they're into, yep. right? And so the temperament of those Springers typically, like I've seen a couple of nervy ones, but mostly they're just kind of flat, nice little cuddly dogs, yep. right? But they've got great big ears and they look a particular way, yep. right? Whereas the working Springer people, like they don't give a fuck what their dogs look like, right? They want, they, aside from that they're a Springer sort of generally, mm. they've got to work and they don't like, in my experience anyway, I don't see a lot of crossover in that. Yep. The problem is with those other breeds is that you they're like formally working breeds mm. is that the show line people still require an element of like my dog is capable of the work, right? And I think that so long as they keep hanging on to that, you can't breed for both those things. Like you have your selective pressures will push you in one way or another. A dog can look a particular way or a dog can act a particular way. And when you're like, it, now you can have both in the mm. same dog and that's where you've got to start breeding towards. But if you're- at a fork in the road where you say like, hey, I need my dog to look a particular way because of the show stuff, yep. then that becomes your selective pressure and how he acts is going to take a second seat, right? And I know like recently in, in Rottweilers, they're talking about like the fucking gums have to be a particular color. Like that was important, that the gums of the dog is a particular color. That's part of the breed standard. Yeah. Right? And so when you're going that specific on look – yeah, it's got to come at the cost of something else. It does. and It, it, it absolutely does. And it usually is temperament, right? Yeah. And then, but you also need these dogs to, you know, display a protection instinct. And a little bit of nerviness will display a protection instinct. You get the, like the dog sees a bit of pressure put on him yep. and fights back, right? Now, like most dogs, like the amount of pressure that you see those dogs react to I think is actually sometimes fucking dangerous mm. because it's not actual pressure. It's a little bit of stink eye from someone and the dog suddenly is meant to like show interest in that. Like if someone did that to my dog and showed the level of stink eye that is meant to bring on that protection instinct, if my dog reacted to that, I'd be very disappointed. Mm. I'd be like, come on, man, you're fucking tougher than that. Like that's not enough to cue yeah, you Yeah, it in. should be a real and direct threat. Yeah, yeah, right? And so that's my speak on it. And, the, and the, look, the difficulty is, and I'm not defending it. I understand what you're saying and I, you, and, you and I agree, right? Yeah, and I'm just saying this is just my opinion yes, and my observations. Yes. And, yeah. and, and of course, I acknowledge that there are unicorns everywhere, right? There, yep. There's there's exceptions to every rule. Absolutely. Um, 100%. And, and like I say, one of the best dogs I've ever worked is Neville's Tank. And he, yep. is, he is one of the best dogs regardless of breed. He yep. is a phenomenal dog that is wearing a Rottweiler costume, yep. right? Like he is fucking amazing mm. in every aspect. I love that dog. Yeah, he's an awesome dog. And he's a Rottweiler. 
He yep. would be in my top five favorite dogs I've ever engaged with in my life. Yep. Right. So I'm not anti Rottweiler. No, no, you're not. I'm just I, saying never, this is my observation. And and you know, like, and largely you're very correct in what you're saying. You know, and you are entitled to your opinion as well. But you know, the the difficulty with people is that it's kind of like what they've done to levels of competition, where instead of people striving to get first, second, and third, everyone gets an attendance certificate these Mm -hmm. days. And that's what's happening in dog world sports as well. It's got to a point of political correctness and political shaping, which is it's really defined what you're allowed to keep. Mm -hmm. And this is the danger for all of us in working breeds. You know, like it's a real and present threat to people around the world, even the agencies, when we're trying to develop a dog that will work for us. Yeah. And in some cases, these are the best line of defense that we could possibly have. Yeah. It's absolute craziness what you what we're seeing transpire. And I know this is a bit of a hot potato topic, but it needs to be said. Yeah. You know, like people need to be aware that we're getting corralled and funneled into what we can and can't have. And at the start of the show, I talked about the potato clause. It's because of the fucking potatoes that we're in this position. I constantly talk about it every NDTF group that I have. But when I was a kid, I was allowed to buy fireworks from the local milk bar. And we were allowed to shoot them in the backyard. We had our parents sitting there, and you know, as long as we didn't blow our eyebrows off, but a potato did. It blew their fingers and the potatoes <laughs> off because they tape them all together, hold on to them, light the fuse, go to throw them when they're, you know, they're sitting there looking at their mates and all their fingers disappear off their hands. Yeah. So because a handful of potatoes did it, the whole majority suffers because of their stupidity. Mm-hmm. Whereas Darwinism would say, well, fuck them. That's what happens in natural selection. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if blowing your hand off is, is a very strong selective pressure. It's enough to change laws. And now to do any type of pyrotechnics, you have to either A, be a company or B, be licensed. And it's too hard to get your license. Yeah. You know, so on that that thread in the discussion group about- I'm so passionate about pyrotechnics. I know, you love your fireworks. (laughs) On that thread that was in our discussion group on crossbred Mm. dogs, like I made a comment on that. I just said that, you know, I think that everybody's opinion is shaped by their experiences. But what I think is interesting is I'm not any purebred dog, not by a fucking long shot. I have one, right? I've got four. Yeah. So I'm not anti-dogs with paperwork. Yep. But I I think that a breed standard is an interesting thing to me, mm. right? Because I think that – take Malinois, for example, yep. right? The breed standard stipulates the color. They're form body blackface. Yep. Right? So my dog, like probably – if he had a pedigree and I put him in a show – he wouldn't do too well, right? Mm. Like just because of the colors on him, right? He's not the right colors. And I think that like when you're breeding dogs, you really, you have to have a key criteria. Now there's that pinnacle dog that has everything, right? And that's what people are trying to achieve. Can I just say something? Mm. All right. This is to all of you pure breed people out there. Unless you've got a wolf, you've got a fucking dog (laughs) that's a crossbreed at some point in its life. Okay. Even though now it's designed and it's been accepted, if you're in a wolf, you and I got no argument. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Other than that, don't give me your shitty but, liver. But so, like, <laughs> I think is, um, I think that dogs should be bred for purpose. Yeah. Right. And all of these dogs came from selective use of other dogs. Like they looked at a dog and said, you know, if I can get this height and this quality and this temperament from a dog by combining them together. You know, and then they've started to see a breed standard there. And I understand what, you know, what they're trying to do because this is where Blue Heelers and, and Kelpies came from. Mm-hmm. I mean, Blue Heelers have got dingoes in them. Mm-hmm. I, uh, I need to look into that to verify my facts. I don't but, know that there's any evidence of that. I've never seen it. I've heard that, and mm-hmm. um, but I, I've, I've not seen the evidence of it. Yeah. But I think, like, in my opinion, I think that 
dogs should be bred for purpose. And you, whatever that purpose is, it doesn't matter, but yep. you should be like have an intent. If you breed dogs, you should have an intent like these puppies, when they are created, I mm. want them to be this. Yep. And you know, like my interest in that is in dogs that work, right? So yep. I'm my interest in that. But I also acknowledge that, you know, you want people want dogs that don't work. They want little cuddlers, right? Yeah. So if you're going to breed little cuddly dogs, your selective criteria should be dogs that are little cuddly dogs, right? Yep. And then there's multiple breeds that are little cuddly dogs. And when people get upset and they say, like, you shouldn't crossbreed those, like, well, you know, maybe you should do big outcrosses because the health is a problem in the breed. Mm. But the moment you'd say, like, I get it in – if you need a dog to look a particular way, then that's your selective pressure and that's what you're going for and temperament comes second. If yep. you just want a dog to be uh, about this size and, you know, have floppy ears and be cuddly – then your your selective pressures can be more temperament based, mm. right? And so that's my that's why I'm not worried about cavoodles because I think that of course there's shit cavoodle breeders. There's probably an overwhelming majority of shit cavoodle breeders, right? There's shit everything breeders. Exactly. Yeah. There, there's there's shitty people. And so like let's exclude that. Let's not even talk about that. Let's mm. own, let's assume that we're dealing with ethical breeders who health test and do the right thing. Yep. Okay. So let's remove the shit. Yep. Because there is no breed standard of cavoodles, they're not meant to look a particular way. They can look however they look, yep. right? And you do see a lot of genetic variants. Yes, you do. The selective pressure on them is temperament only mm -hmm. because the only thing that is important is that they fit into a family home. Right. No one is trying to create a cavoodle that does anything other than be fits a cuddly into a family, family dog. Home. So the selective pressure then is that he just is the temperament is good yep. and that is just a nice dog, yep. right? But the moment you then go, okay, I want a nice Certain cuddly color. little family dog, but it's got to be black yep. and it's got to, you know, be this size and its mouth has to be pink and mm -hmm. it has to be all these things. Now we've got a fork in the road, right? Yep. Because we've got, we've got to go, all right, well, which one of those things is more important to me? Because if I stray from the breed standard, then I'm not being true to my breed. So I'll create a dog that looks a particular way, but is a little nervy and maybe yep. will bite some kids in the face. Right. And now you've got a fork in the road and you have to choose. What are you going to do? Are you going to create nervy dogs that look spot on? Yep. Or are you going to go, you know what? I'm going to accept that they don't look quite right. I'm going to, you know, not uphold the standard of the breed, but I'm going to have dogs that fulfill their purpose. Mm. And that is being someone's lovely little pet. Right. Yep. So I think that's my issue with it. It is, and that's why I'm not anti purebred, not by a fucking long shot. In fact, what I am very pro is bloodline tracking. Yep. Like you should 100% have pedigrees, as in know who the parents and the parents' parents and the parents' parents and the parents' parents. For like, your specific for, type of dog. For any type of dog. Like you, <laughs> the, we should be tracking that. Yep. Like I have a birth certificate and it says who my parents are. And then yep. you can get my parents' birth certificate and you can see who their parents are, right? Like mm -hmm. for every dog, we should be doing that. Like that should be available for every dog so that we can see how did this dog come together. And mm -hmm. then you can go like, this is what had to have happened with all the, what is a purebred now has to, as you said, it was a wolf at one point yeah. that has to have come from somewhere and we should acknowledge that. And like I said, one of the dogs that we spoke about was the jug. Well, pugs fucking eyes fall out of their heads. Yeah. Right. And I just need to insert something here. 
a while ago in Melbourne, I had a family contact me and cabbies were my go-to dogs. You know, like if we're going to talk about pure breed dogs, cabbies were my I go-to love dogs. I love, 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 love Cavaliers. Yeah. Absolutely adore them. Beautiful, cuddly little family dogs. And in, you know, and when they're well-bred dogs, all goes well. Yep. So family in Melbourne wanted a cuddly little family dog, recommended a, a Cavalier King Charles Spaniel. Mm-hmm. It had pressure in its brain. And they had to put it down when it was like two years old. It mm-hmm. was screaming in pain all the time. Heartbreaking. Heartbreaking. Absolutely heartbreaking. And they spent an absolute small fortune on trying to help this dog. So they rang me up and told me what happened. It wasn't Breeder's fault. It was just a an, an Yeah, shit happens. Yeah. They got another one. Same sort of thing. Eye problem. Had to end up getting the eye taken out. The dog lived, but one-eyed Cavalier King Charles Spaniel. Two very expensive, well-pedigreed dogs that they bought both issues, mm-hmm. you know, and then people say to me, well, Glenn, you know, like these things happen. Well, they do. They do. To pedigree dogs as well. <laughs> that's right. You know, and that's the thing. The good thing about that thread is that uh, I got a lot of support out of that. I actually thought, oh, here we go. I'm going to get some fucking heat over this I- issue. But it actually, there was an overwhelming amount of support where people were saying to me, you know, look, I agree with you. I've recommended Cavoodles before and the family pretty much live happily ever after. But I think what's definitely worth acknowledging is, you know, we have listeners all over the world Mm. and dogs are different all over the world. Of course they are. Right. And like dogs are different by state. They're different. You really. Unscrupulous people be unscrupulous people. No matter what part of the world they are. And, you know, we just spent 20 minutes shit talking uh, Rottweilers. Yeah. And, but Sean. Everybody from PSA America that has been here has remarked how good the Rottweilers are. Sean. Yeah. You. But but has made huge comment about, but again, he's seeing Neville's dogs yeah. right, and Mark's dogs that are very good. But I saw them. I, I was in the era where Rottweilers were fucking formidable. But, but that's what I'm saying is like in other parts of the world, mm. certain breeds are worse. So when someone like, because we, yeah, what, what was interesting in that thread was it was mostly Australians yep. that were saying, and some pretty high level dog trainers in there and really educated dog people like, no, this is, Georgie Harrington actually said, this is the hill I'll die on. Yes, right? I, said, I read the that. The oodles are fucking good to go. Yeah. Right? And I, it's, I and love you, Georgie. We both, she's do. the best. Yeah. But so I think that it's really different by location. You, yeah. you have to acknowledge Absolutely. that. Absolutely. And, and you see that when you travel too. Yeah. And, and when we're talking about, you know, remove shitty breathers from the equation, like they're shitty breathers in everything. Yes. In, the in, shitty people. Yeah. Yeah. And, but the thing is as well, one of the issues to summarize my position, because we actually did have a topic, but we've titled it, this Doberman's led us down this path that we got yeah. to here. My issue with it really is that I think when you have like really strict rules around breeding like that, mm. like a closed bloodline as they are, a closed gene pool has an inevitable end. Yeah. Right. And so you're kind of pushing people to either breed dogs that are they know to be problematic or lie on their paperwork, which often happens, oh, right? D- tell me it's not so, sir. <laughs> tell me there's not corruption in dog sport and, and breeding. and Yeah. And so, that would never happen, would but, it? But so then you've got real <laughs> issues of like, you know, not actually being able to track health in that because you don't really know who the parents are, yep. right? And so that's a problem when people have to lie on pedigrees. And that's why I think – like not worrying about that and breeding to a standard, whatever your standard is mm. and doing whatever it takes to meet that standard and not having to choose from a closed gene pool. Yep. And like I say, I feel passionately about it because I I like dogs to have a purpose and that purpose could be fucking anything. That dog, that purpose can be- can Whatever be, you need it for. Well, yeah. And you can breed them for that. You can, yep. you, and you should. But I think it sometimes 
meeting the breed standard, the necessity for color, shape, size is what causes the health issues and the temperament issues. And I think that sometimes a lack of breed standard can be the saving grace Mm. in being able to provide good little dogs to be in homes as well as working dogs. Absolutely. Right. And it's the same, like, you know, like Malinois Dutch Shepherd, like, you know, they come out like from the same litter, you can get both. And you put, you put the ones with stripes over here and you call them Dutchies and you put the Malies over here. You've just blown everyone's mind. (laughs) A Malinois and a Dutch Shepherd is the same thing. Well, they are, well, they are different things. They both are breeds. Yeah. That totally is a thing, but you can breed two together off the books, yep. you can say whoever you want was the parents <laughs> and you can put the duchies over here and the Malinois over there and say these ones are duchies and these ones are Malinois. Okay, like, I'm just going to have to call this mind-blown part two. Yeah, right. So yep. <laughs> this, is the, this is the issue. And so yep. if there was not such problems around that, everybody could be honest about the way that they're breeding dogs and I think you'd have a lot less health issues, you'd mm-hmm. have a lot less uh, temperament issues because you could say, hey, where did this come from? And really know. Yep. You could actually look it up and go like, ah, this guy is the common denominator, right? Right, he's the re- so let's cut him out of the gene pool. Mm. But whereas, like, if we have to lie about how we're breeding them just so that their fucking eyeballs don't fall out of their head, then we don't know where the actual problems come because the pedigrees aren't real. Yep. And in two generations' time, when we don't have the access to the real story from the person who will tell us face to face, we've lost the ability to actually solve that puzzle. Well, when you add a lot of money and no accountability, you remove all of the trace elements of that anyway. So yeah. you know. No, that's the problem we face. It's it's lots of money, no accountability. Jesus Christ, we went down a rabbit hole, didn't there. we? Mm. My goodness. So let's get back on to <laughs> hard rules. Hard rules. Yeah. So, gosh, let me reset. Mm. So my thoughts were, I have some hard rules. Yep. Things that I like. Nah, you can't do that to a dog. Yep. Right? And I wonder how much bias I have in those. Right. Like I wonder how much bias I have in breeding. Which I've never done. Mm. I don't breed dogs. My heart, I've got a hard rule straight up. Yeah. Unqualified people should never be teaching puppy schools. And I've made that point very salient through anything that I've ever stamped my name on. Mm-hmm. Is that one of the highest qualified people should be taking puppy schools. That's the end of the story. Mm. Yeah. It shouldn't be a well-meaning, lovely, young, happy person. It should be somebody who is very, very well-schooled in canine psychology and behavior. Mm-hmm. Doesn't need to be a vet or anything like that. Just needs to be somebody who is at the peak of their game. And the reason is, and as, as I've said in early episodes, and I will say this to any man on the street or woman, is you need to be aware that this is the beginning, the absolute beginning, and you're dealing with a critical period. So whatever you're giving that person and you're shaping the rest of the future of that dog, you're responsible for so much more than any other trainer that's going to touch that dog. Mm-hmm. Don't get me wrong. The right trainer for you and your dog is absolutely paramount, but I've got to say, well, how can I say that's absolutely paramount without saying that that really the pinnacle person, the first person, if it's a puppy, needs to have this shit squared away. That's right. a hard rule. Let me paint you a hypothetical. Right. You have a little dog training business. Yep. It's you and you've got sort of an understudy who's been with you for six months. Yep. Uh, you break your leg. Yep. And you can't run puppy class. Yep. You, you're cancelling puppy class. You're not handing it over to your your person, or sit in a chair and and guide them. While okay, you're out, out um, of action. Then you yeah, know? like you're you're cut in half. 
right? So you're just half a man. Right. And you're still being sewn back together. Right. And so you're still in hospital. <laughs> that's very right? extreme. Yeah. Well, yeah. I had to. You you okay. were trying to fucking beat me on yep. technicality. Okay, yeah. Right? Yeah, that's fair. That's fair. <laughs> so that's fair. Do you cancel puppy class or are you sending your It depends on the competency of person. my understudy. They're not there. Hey? They're not they're, they're not the best. Cancel it. Cancel it. Cancel it. Send them on to someone else. Yep. Okay. Yep. It's a hard rule for you. Yeah, it's a hard rule. That's too important, and especially for your name as well, you know, to have- Your name's finished, mate. You're cut in half. You're half a man. Well, <laughs> you're, mate, but yeah, you're that's out. right. That's right. Yeah. <laughs> but, that, but see, that's your legacy yeah, gone. Here, bad news, mate. You were cut like- I'll oh, straight down the you're middle. <laughs> you're imagining that like God. horizontally, but it's been vertical. No, that's that, that's even you're just worse. the left half. Yeah. <laughs> God. Well, they do say your left side's your best side, so I'm, I'm okay with that. Who says that? That's photographic facts. Really? Yeah. Your left okay. side. So if you're looking for your right side to get photographed, left side. Okay. Yep. Left side, your most attractive side. You know what my hard rule is? What's that? Don't fuck with dogs when they're eating. So, like, you yeah. see a lot of people, like, there's people that teach, like, oh, you got to approach the dog and show that when you approach, you bring go and, positive. Go and take food out of their bowl. And- yeah. Well, there's extremes where people will say, yeah, fuck with them. Take their food. Show them you're the boss. Spitting, spitting their food. Them, spitting them and fucking <laughs> alpha roll them, right? So, like, there's that. And then there's people who would say, no, you should walk over and, like, take their bowl, which has low-value item in it, replace it with a high-value item so that it's a, a trade. And I can see, like, where you're going with that. Yep. But for me, a rule is, like, I just don't fuck with dogs while they're eating. Yep. I put their food down and let them eat it. If, if they're going to eat that way, if they're eating from a bowl, I just don't molest them while they're eating. The, the main rule that, another hard rule that comes off that, if we're going to talk about offshoots of that, is don't allow the dog to be a resource guarder. Yeah. Yeah. So, well, I, mean, I mean, if you can see that the dog is clearly being aggressive and, you know, like if you approach, I'm not saying fuck with the dog. I agree with you on that. I don't, yeah. I don't, I, I think once you put the food bowl down, just leave the dog alone. Yeah. You know, but I don't like seeing that you're walking in the area and the dog is like hovering over. Yeah. Then you got resource, a problem. Then you got a problem and yeah. that needs to be addressed. Of course. Yeah. Of course. But that's now we have a problem. We have to address that. Right. But I think if you ask me, is your dog food aggressive? I say, how the fuck would I know? Yeah, we don't. <laughs> I don't. Yeah. I don't molest him while he's eating. I put yeah. his food down. I walk away. He comes in, in. He comes in when he's finished. So I already know the answer to this because it's something that I would practice anyway. But if somebody says, "Oh, I've got a like a little child and I just can't stop them," what get a you- crate for the child. Exactly. <laughs> and and you know that's the thing that I say to parents. They more so these days when they're talking to me about it, is you need to control your child. Yeah. Like you really do. And they say, "Oh, you know, Glenn, you don't have children. It's easy for you to say." And I said. Put the dog in a room where the child can't get into. Yeah. You know, like if that's the case, if you cannot control your child, that for me is befuddling. That means that you don't spend enough time working with your, with your own child and that's why you've got an issue with your dog as well because your, your child is crawling up in your dog's grill. I get it. I know kids are everywhere and, they you know, they can be somewhere where they're not supposed to be in a flash of time. But if that's the case, put your dog in the in the laundry or outside, feed your dog, then let the dog back in. Okay, where you can control the situation better. Yeah. Mm. So that's my hard rule. I, like, control it's just your something. Kids. <laughs> Jesus. Yeah. But it's just something that I sort of think like, nah, I can't see any reason. Like presuming there's no issue. Once you go, all right, we've, we've got a resource guarder. We noticed it because the second we put the food down, he started growling at us. Yep. We go, okay, now we're on a path. We have to change yeah, that. Yeah, and we've yeah. got techniques for that. We agree. But in general, when you put the food down, like don't interact with the food. Yep. And like I say, so I, I wonder about my bias on that. Like there's people who, you know, really successfully do this, like swapping it over and all that. But I just, I'm like, why, 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 why am I doing that? Yeah. Like what? Well, I'm not saying 
saying this is the rules. We're just saying these are our rules. Yeah. It's yeah. just something that I have kind yeah. of established as a hard rule. And I wonder what else? Like, I don't, I don't, I think that once you draw a line in the sand on things and you kind of like, no, I'm, I'm absolutely a hundred percent firm on that. You, you lose space for nuance. Yes. You lose the ability to go, well, this is an extreme situation that I didn't see coming because yep. you've gone like, nope, never do that. And you go, okay, well that's off the table, but that's, that's the only tool I had. So like now that I can't do that, what can I do? Mm. Never th- say never. Yeah. I think a hard rule for me, like that it all sort of encompasses in is kind of respect the dog. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like respect, first of all, the dogness of the dog, yep. right? Like that he is yeah, a yeah, dog I like that. and don't try and treat him like- Anthropomorphize. Not- yeah. Well, mm. I think sometimes, like, you know, that's a funny one because I think that like that term gets used quite a lot more liberally than perhaps it should. Mm. I think that- uh, People say it without understanding the content of it. Yeah. And- context. And it seems, you know, the more, this is a Jordan Peterson thing, actually, but he spoke about it. But uh, the more we learn about animals and their emotions, it seems that a lot of things that people would have said 10 years ago, oh, you're anthropomorphizing, dogs can't feel love. And we go, well, no, we've proven they can. Like, that's a real thing. I'm not talking about that. No, but that's what I mean. Yeah, yeah. That's where it's said out of context. Yeah. So that word needs to be redefined. Right. It needs to be like anthropomorphization, if I can even say it, needs to have a left and right of arc uh, shifted, I think. Because like what a lot of people would say, you know, that your dog's not doing that. He doesn't love you. You go, well, no, like there's evidence now that dogs do love stuff. Well, the fMRI is proven. Yeah, that's right, right? And so there is still plenty of things that people sort of put onto their dog that I think is not fair to the dog. It doesn't respect that it's a dog. And that's that's sort of not allowing it, its struggles and things. It's innate desires. I think that's one of the big things. And like, I think a hard rule for me is, not that I can enforce this, but I'd say to people, don't get a working dog you don't intend to work. Mm. Like, because you're not respecting what that dog is, right? You're not respecting the nature of the dog. Yep. And I think that is, that kind of encompasses every issue that you would run into, like weird training. If you respect the nature of the dog, mm. then you're going to avoid a lot of problems. Like, you know, to go back to, you know, can you work your own dog? Well, yeah, you can play with your dog with you wearing the equipment. You can respect the idea that your dog can understand that he enjoys engaging yep. and play and that he can determine when he's allowed to bite you and when he's not. You know, my own dog, like we'll be, you know, fucking around in the house and he'll straight bite me, but not put any pressure down, mm. right? Like he's engaging in like, and we have to be careful, right? Because sometimes like I have to make sure when he gets into that level, I have to go, okay, we have to be careful in the way that we play here and not tip you into a high level of arousal yep. because you'll put your teeth through me before you even know what's happened, yes. right? Like, and it'll be in play, mm. but it'll, I'll still have holes in me. It's always fun until someone gets hurt. Yeah, yeah. right? Yeah. But so like we can respect the idea that he can moderate his uh, behavior, right? And he can uh, moderate his intensity and I don't do anything stupid to give him a reason to do something stupid mm. to me. Right. And then it's the same, you know, respecting the dog in that, like, he can understand inputs. To use my other example of the e collar, like, he can understand, like, we can train him. We, he can understand that that, that neutral tone and can have a function yep. that we can teach it to. Respect that he can understand that. Mm-hmm. Right. So for me, that's my hard rule respect the dogginess of the dog. Yep. And I think that that kind of gives you the nuance to treat each dog as the individual that they are. Mm. But don't fuck with their food. Yep. Yeah, and don't spit in it. I think we've said that before. 
I mean, God, if you're still doing that, you're you're in the dark ages of dog <laughs> training. But another one of my hard and fast rules is don't let your ambitions get mixed up with your capabilities. Mm. If you haven't heard me say that before, staff hear it, NDTF hear it. I'm sure I've said it on the podcast many times. And it relies heavily. I circulate this around the dog training industry a lot. There's a lot of people who put themselves into some pretty dank places because they become too ambitious without being capable, mm-hmm. you know? And that's what I, all I say to people is, don't, and again, it's it's not saying never, ever, ever should you do it. It's just learn the craft properly, mentor well, get skilled well, and then by all means go in, you know, when you're ready to do it. And some people say, well, that's nice for you to say, Glenn, but how do you know you're ready? The way that I've known I'm ready for doing things is I get assessed by people who are better than me to tell me when I'm ready. And without their ego getting in the way or without their without it being a competitive issue or anything like that, I just say to them, have a look at me do this. What do you think? And can you give me some constructive feedback? That's when I know I'm ready. And then when they're giving me thumbs up, I know I'm good to go. But mm. I don't ask one source. I ask several. You know, like I usually say to several people, can you can you have a look at this and see what, what you think? Mm. And you've done this several times when you've put content out. You've asked people for feedback. You've not just said, well, I think it's good enough. Fuck it. I'm, I'm putting this out. You've put it out on the market and said to a few people, can you critique my my work for me and tell me what you think? Yeah, I always do that. Yeah. yeah. It's the only way you learn, right? Yeah, totally. I mean, you know, if you really want to know what people think of your capability and if you can allow your pride to subside a little bit, it's a very intimate moment that you can be – you can be vulnerable enough to open yourself up and say, I really need some feedback here. I really need to, I want to grow. And the only way I know how to do that is by people who are more knowledgeable than me to give me the substance that I can actually grow from it. Yeah. You know, what's hit the floor a few times because I just can't get it right is for Patreon, I've been trying to do one of those deep dive videos yep. on uh, negative punishment. Yeah. And fucking hell, I've made that like six times mm. and sent it. Like I've canned it a few times and I've sent it to people and they're like, nice rant video, you rambolo that like <laughs> you speak in English. And I'm like, fuck, missed it again. Yeah. But you have to because like when you're putting stuff out, like no matter what your content is, whether you're training the dog, whether you're teaching people, you know, whatever, right? Yep. Whatever your content is, if it's not being received well, then there's no point, right? You're missing the mark. Just being able to take criticism on that is is an art. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, You know, we've talked about that with Birdie several times privately and in doses on the show, but, you know, taking criticism, I mean, we could probably do a whole episode on that and probably that would be a good one for us to sit down with Birdie about and and go through that because that really is, you know, when you talk about nuances, that's a whole bag of nuances on its own. Mm. Mm. Whole bag of nuances. Whole bag of it, yeah. (laughs) Any other hard and fasties before we do wrap up or? Nah. You know what I will say though, like, I know we've probably upset some people on that breed thing, but I'm just speaking what my observations. I acknowledge, of course, that there are people who are breeding purebred dogs that yep. are magnificent temperament and meet the standard perfectly. Like yep. that's a fact. I've seen those dogs. I have one. Yes. Right. Like I know that's a thing. Mm. This doesn't apply to them. Yeah. That's you know, right. the people who are doing the right thing. Like if you're triggered by this, I, I think you need to go back into some self assessment. You know, maybe you need to look at it and, and Oh no, but not maybe not that, but maybe like, you know, we're not talking about you. If you're if you're doing the right thing, then we're not talking about you. We're no, talking that, but about that's what I'm saying. If people are triggered by this, yeah, you know, like maybe there's something that's sprung a nerve in there. Maybe they need to look at it a little bit deeper. Maybe. I don't know. I'm just saying. Speaking out loud. <laughs> All right. Let's shoot that one in the cannon and see what happens. <laughs> That's it. Yep. For another episode of the Canon Paradigm. Mm-hmm. As always, if you like what you hear, please like, rate, share, subscribe. <laughs> T-
tell us something specific. Yep. If you want to support the show, best way to do that is Patreon. You can jump into there. A few bucks a month gets you extra episode. Mm-hmm. One day I'll get that negative punishment one in there when I figure it out. Yeah. Um, and uh, one day I'll get the scent detection one up that I promised I'd get up. Oh, yeah. Uh, so now you know the reason why. In the meantime, there's other stuff going in there. There's other stuff, and you're doing some really good work in there at the moment. I enjoy it. Mm. I like putting stuff in there. Yeah, it's very good. Another way you could support the show is Teespring. Get yes. some cool merch. We've got loads of cool shirts and so forth and such, which that you could wear and rep for us. Thanks for those of you who do, and show them off online and mm-hmm. show everybody your TCP gear. Mm-hmm. Really appreciate it. And if you want to get in contact with us, best way to do that is to post into the discussion group, group source some information if you uh, can, as well as shoot us an email. We are info at the That's it. Glenn, music. <laughs>